Welcome to Remind the Podcast with your hosts, Katie and Angie. This week, we'll be looking at the question, why do I feel like an imposter in my own culture? My name's Angie, and from the sound of my voice, probably sound very English. Uh, I was born here in the UK, and I've always lived here. My dad is Korean, mum is Chinese. They moved to the UK in the 90s and have been here ever since. My name is Katie. I also sound very English. This is because my dad's British, my mum's Malay, but I was born and raised in Hong Kong. My parents moved to Hong Kong in the 90s. Let's just unpick the question a little bit. Why do I feel like an imposter in my own culture? Let's look at imposter first, because I feel like in the age of 2020, 2021, when people say imposter, the first thing people think of is Among Us. That game? Have you played? Nah. Angie. No. You are missing out. I know. I was just get addicted to it and like I don't have time for another addiction right now. Imposter is not anything to do with Among Us. It's <laughs> We're talking more at, about impo- imposter syndrome, which if we want to give an exact definition, is a kind of psychological experience in which individuals feel like their skills, talents or accomplishments um, are undeserved and they feel like a fraud. So although the actual definition is to do with, um, you know, more skills-based things, it's kind of borrowed a lot in different contexts and we're borrowing it in the context of culture where you feel like you're kind of a fraud in your own culture. Maybe you don't fit in. Maybe you don't, uh, are unsure of how you feel claiming it to be your culture. Um, and I, I think it's actually a pretty common phenomenon for a lot of people, um, culturally, I mean. So that's what we mean by feeling like an imposter. An imposter is, I mean, in this context, is generally a perceived perceived thing um, might not be actual obviously Um, and then I guess the other really important part of the whole question that we need to understand and define is culture what is culture Um, I think Mm. there are there are multiple definitions for this depending on which discipline you're coming from academically speaking or just I mean your own personal view of it Um, I really like the definition that our second year social psychology lecturers gave to us in 2018. Okay, Um, please don't plagiarize me on Turnitin for this. So, (laughs) the trauma. Um, So the basic definition of culture is a set of beliefs, cognitions and practices that characterize a specific social group and distinguish it from others. It's not. It's something that is not exclusive to geographical location or nationality, but can be commonly char- used to characterize examples of different cultures. I think defining culture is such a hard thing, and I think defining mm. culture for yourself as well. One hundred percent. I guess I'm not sure if people know this. There's the whole concept of cultural identity, and I'm sure everyone knows the idea of self-identity. Cultural identity is basically the idea of you perceive yourself as belonging to a certain group and a a cultural group, like like Angie said, based on practices and beliefs and et cetera, et cetera. And it's part of 
how you view yourself, um, how you view your self-identity. It's your cultural identity as well. You're, you're a part of something. It's quite an interesting one. I find cultural identity very fascinating because a lot of the time I think people use labels and kind of markers to value or evaluate how part of that culture you are and I'm doing air quotes with my hands and I realize no one can see that (laughs) but it's you know there's there's like a list of oh well did you experience this is something I had with um some of my friends growing up is oh did you experience this as a kid did um did this happen to you do your aunties or uncles do this have you eaten this do you even call them aunties and uncles is a big one. Oh yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you even call them aunties and uncles? I, I almost, I sometimes I almost feel like it's a threshold of do you have enough things that you've experienced to meet the threshold? I'm like, okay, yeah, like you're... qualifiers or something. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. But like, how many, how many of these things did you experience? And then, okay, yeah, you're enough of this or whatever. Right. And it's yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's. Just these thresholds are such a bizarre idea to me, even though I live by them as well. I think it makes sense in why we have them. Obviously, it's a a way to connect with individuals when you find similarities in how you grew up, or for example, um, and more perhaps on the individual level. As we were speaking about cultural and social identity, these multiple types of identities that we have. They form part of a larger network, which is our self-concept. For those who don't know, a self-concept, sorry, your self-concept is basically a collection of beliefs that you have about yourself. And it is really fundamental and embodies the answer to who am I? So, you know, trying to answer that question of who am I might also be a valid reason for why these little markers exist. Like, I take my damn shoes off when I enter the house and that shows me who I am. Oh, honestly. Trainers in bedrooms, I'm like, ah! <laughs> why don't you respect your home? And if you dare, like, for me anyway, it was like, if you dare touch your food before, like, your mum and your dad and, like, your uncles and aunties, like, there's no place in heaven for you, girl. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> That's the same like across all cultures you just inherit these behaviors and ideals and ideas of the things that you you are and aren't supposed to do. And I guess it's it's largely about figuring out where do you fit within your own cultural arena um and things like that. Yeah. I mean, do you want to define a cultural arena? Yeah. A cultural arena essentially means where you live physically impacts how you behave culturally and otherwise. So I think this is Mm. probably particularly relevant. um, uh, Being born and raised and always living here in the UK, for example. um, And, you know, perhaps I've noticed how some cultural behaviours from both my parents have changed over time or maintained And I think within the cultural arena, there is, you know, I guess it's quite an intuitive link. You can see how sometimes there's a pressure felt within, I mean, like first and second gen immigrants to assimilate into the cultural arena. So, um, you know, 
that can be that's a very broad definition and all the behaviors are very individual within that but that is um a very common result of being within a cultural arena i mean it, it's it's how do you exist within it right and it's mm. i think it breaks down into a few things one is the arena you're existing in. so i think where you know what where you're currently living and that culture I think too is what you're bringing. So are you coming from a different culture? Are you, have you been born and raised in a culture, but have you had influence from other culture? So it's, you know, influence from elsewhere. Mm. And then I think it's also how you proceed. Um, and that sounds very odd and broad, but I think what I mean by that is, you know, I think particularly in, um, adolescence or childhood understanding how much of your heritage or other culture um because I mean this could be that you've just lived somewhere or you grew up for what 10 years in somewhere else and then you moved to a different place and that's still a cultural difference um but it's how do you accept and live with your cultural behaviors and coexist and live in another one. Fitting in is important to a lot of people. It's important to everyone, I think, at some point in their lives. You wanna, you just wanna feel like you belong, which is what, you know, that's the whole point of social psychology as well, is belonging to a group and feeling, you know, you have a, uh, embracing that in your identity as well. Um, but it's, it's, there's a kind of bicultural identity where, you just have two conflicting identities from one culture and another, and you're just trying to live with them coexisting. It's actually the formulation of a brand new identity. It's like the puzzle pieces fitting together, but in a brand new picture. Does that make any sense? Oh no, it makes total sense. And I think is generally speaking, the ideal scenario for individuals in this position. I mean, I know for me it is. And when you are struggling or at least have some sort of internal conflict regarding mm. the, the multiple cultures you internally possess and present to the world around you, it can leave you feeling like you don't belong anywhere. So if right. you have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you don't really have one foot in either. And I mean, frankly speaking, I don't really think there should be the expectation that you have one foot fully planted in the other but it's definitely a pressure that is experienced. I know I have. What would you consider enough to be enough of one or enough of the other? Like, is it language? Is it um, knowing history? Is it um, food? Is it cooking? Definitely Is it, yeah? I think all of those things, for sure. So all three to meet a threshold of enough. Yeah, and by that, I don't mean that there's a specific, you know, template or anything that we should be following. But in my personal subjective view, it would be that that's kind of what I would view as being biculturally competent. And that mm -hmm. is, yeah, um, not necessarily something I have achieved, but something right. that I do strive towards in my life anyway. But the thing that holds me back from doing those things, I think comes in part from having felt not enough in either. 
growing up and feeling like I had to sacrifice things, which then in turn influenced my behavior for many years to come, such that it's gotten to the point where I'm like a young adult, like, uh, I don't know any of this stuff. And I kind of feel a bit too guilty to begin now because it feels like I'm trying to make up for a whole childhood and adolescence of me rejecting these parts of myself. It is funny reflecting back and then you get to an adult and you're like, and every job application is like, we would love it if you were bilingual. I'm like, oh, it's bilingual, B-Y-E lingual. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even think of that. Bilingual. <laughs> but it does, I think, leave me feeling like, a foreigner or an imposter when I do go and visit those places because I think if I don't even know how to communicate then like how can I really be a part of this culture and that might just be a personal um, feeling of mine um, but that I think that's one part of the jigsaw puzzle we've taken to answer this question so you know why you feel like imposter like maybe it can be you put a lot of emphasis on language Mm. Um, and there's a feeling of incompetence that comes, especially when you're an adult and you can't um, speak the language. Yeah, but I think related to language, it's how you it's how you communicate to others. And there are so many other ways to communicate to others. Like my grandmother doesn't really speak that much English, but she we really communicate to her through food. And I think food is such a massive one and particularly tradition I think tradition and food go hand in hand Mm. and they are such pillars of culture and communication Um, and I think it's again easy to feel like a imposter but also very easy to feel you belong when you eat certain foods or um, cook certain foods and you share that with others or share it with your family Um, or share it with strangers I think that's a really it's something that you that can that can really be almost tangibly passed on Mm. I mean okay let's take a typical of like English culture a tradition is Sunday roasts right I love a Sunday roast yes yeah it's different and and it's such a ritual of you have the person that cooks the roast and they're like top chef um, and they take out whoever yeah. does it takes a lot of pride in the fact that they can cook a bang and roast um, and it's something you share with friends and family and that's a really wonderful tradition that I got to be a part of more only when I moved I don't know what other traditions are there oh god I'm trying to think I'm trying to think as well well I think this is actually quite not to be okay I'm so sorry I'm being so pessimistic on this episode but I think the fact that I'm actually struggling to come up with any um, kind of is in part, I'll be honest, due to the fact that I haven't been, well, me and my family haven't necessarily been practicing them right. for a very, very long time, I think. You know, I, I, t- I take it in quite a bittersweet way. I very much appreciate that I know all the ins and outs of a Sunday roast. And by mm. the way, guys, I make a banging roast um, <laughs> just for your information. But yes, I I very much appreciate that I got to be more in touch with those, especially as, you know, where I grew up, um, it was a predominantly English white neighborhood. And so a lot of my friends, that's what they'd partake in. 
And I think, at least for me anyway, um, I know why I don't really know a lot of traditions is because when I was younger, especially relating to food and, you know, anyone who went to like a, a super white like kindergarten or something you or school, you may relate to this when you bring your own lunches and your own snacks. Mm. Um, there obviously have been instances where, you know, your food gets called weird or, you know, like, oh, it's xyz it's like oh like it's chinese it's gross and it's like actually it's bibimbap it's korean but whatever um (laughs) it's korean and it's delicious it's wonderful thank you and even at a really young age it pushed me to think like oh okay even even my food like it's not right it has to be different so i stopped and as a result i think it slowly diminished away from my family as well um and that kind of leads me on to this uh, next point, which is a degree of, um, which is basically how I feel and maybe how you feel, Katie, about the popularization of certain aspects of, say, East Asian culture represented mm. in food. Now, don't get me wrong. Can you I, give an example? I mean, look, I, I really embrace the fact that um there are more diverse ranges of food being presented in a very easy and accessible way, um, especially where I live in Bristol, a great hub for a whole fusion um, of different cuisines. But I think the an example that kind of comes to mind is there is a specific person I remember from school. When I was eight, they called my food weird and they like they basically criticized the way that my mum had prepared it because she'd basically put her own spin on it. And they're like, it's weird. Um, and I think it was that same person who literally over a decade later was like, oh my God, we should try this, insert random dish. Like, oh my God, I just love it so much. I just think it's so special and unique. Like, have you tried kimchi or something? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> And it kind of, obviously, if someone has an appreciation for food, I'm not here to um, criticize that. But I think it in turn, internally made me think, why would you only accept certain parts of the cult- my culture insofar as it is popular or mainstream, mm. you know? I don't know if mm. you've got that have this similar views or experiences. Um, I think... I have one experience that kind of epitomizes my bicultural identity is we had some friends or my dad's friends from uni, like his family came over to visit us. This was several, several years ago. And we went to a theme park and it was a really hot day. And we were like, oh, can we get a snack? And okay, as a snack, we'd quite often have like grilled squid because grilled squid is buying Oh, and we went to the snack place and I was just looking. I was like, oh, God, this is so difficult. Should I get ice cream or squid? And everyone started laughing and I was so confused. I was like, what? I don't I don't understand. And they were like, ice cream or squid. That's such a weird. How can you even like way up the two and I know like they didn't mean it in a horrible way I was just so confused because that was the most normal thing to me I was like well actually obviously I'm gonna go for squid you're right to laugh at me (laughs) there's not even a choice (laughs) but it was just it really epitomized just my entire confusion of like 
this is the most normal thing in the world to me. Why would you be laughing? Mm. But I mean, this is, I think this is the whole point of our podcast as well, is that it is these small things Mm -hmm. that can actually have a big impact on how you feel and how you think about something. And whether it's a reference or a comment about your food or, 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 or the absence of a tradition or, or the inability to do something, these small things do add up um, and, they can, and they can give you an overwhelming feeling of imposter syndrome at times. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, yeah, it, it does happen to a lot of people and it's a difficult feeling to sit with. I don't want to say accept, mm-hmm. but I think sit with um is is tricky um but i i feel like it should never stop people from doing things later yeah because i mean it's 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 i think overcoming your imposter syndrome is a big ask a very big ask um but you know i think acknowledging it is a good first step like, why do I feel this way? And what is it that makes me feel like this? I don't think you should rectify your behavior just to feel like you fit someone else's threshold. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the culture is yours as much as it is someone else's. It's, it's, it's culture is such a minefield. But I think feeling, I think particularly heritage or where you live, it's really hard to feel like you want to fit in whilst not neglecting or abandoning other things that have influenced your life or or are important to you or your family Hmm. or other people around you Um, and I think acknowledging it is a great first step I think separating the fact from your feelings of okay well I don't know enough I my language ability is let's say a1 it's not it's it's low level it doesn't mean that i i don't belong in that culture that's not it it's your feeling is different from the actual fact of the matter i think yeah i think it's it's never too late to want to learn about your culture yeah and um i mean if anyone wants actual practical tips i can't say i'm there yet but historically and presently you know, what I found to be useful, despite my earlier point about what would make me enough of belonging to X, Y, and Z culture, it really is within reason. The culture is yours to make. So I've definitely found so much comfort in just learning how to cook certain things, asking my dad stories about um, Korea and I I guess being involved in ways that are authentic to me and as well I think for me friends definitely um I think going to the school that I did and university really opened my eyes a lot in that respect not to just meeting other people with from my heritage culture but just meeting more people from different cultures generally um Mm. kind of I don't know um can be quite practical and helpful, though it is, I guess, difficult in the present times that we live in. I, yeah, I think, you know, being open about how you feel, at least to yourself, mm. is 
really important and I think helps to overcome those feelings of not enough or mm. imposter within it. Um, I mean, obviously this is <laughs> coming from two people who obviously feel it quite strongly. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult for us to preach because we're not there either. We're both no. still working through we're our learning. feelings. Very much so. But I like the wonderful thing actually is that you and I became friends through our course, actually. Mm-hmm. That's where we met. Um, and then we obviously became friends through a love of psychology. But we also had a really wonderful bond about our Asian culture. Um, I'm talking about things that, you know, had happened to us or we both <laughs> knew of. Um, and sharing food and going to an Asian supermarket. Um, and I, I think that's really wonderful when you can when you can talk and be open and share with someone even though they're slightly different or very different in some places, but it's nice to be open about it and share your experience with others. It's made me feel so nostalgic for our whole story. (laughs) It's our love story. Our love story, guys. Um, You know, if you do want to explore ways in which you want to become more involved with a certain culture in a certain way, please remember that there's no pressure to be perfect in this. You don't have to become fluent in a year. You don't have to know every recipe off by heart or the entire chronological history of um, the, the cultural group in question. Again, it's it's a super personal thing. So please don't let you know the idea of time and perfection um, stop you from taking your own approach to exploring um a part of yourself because it's a it's a part of you it's 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 personal in that respect it's not really anyone else's um business in that sense (laughs) it's not your business it's not your business (laughs) um oh I feel like it's really nice to get all that in the open as well yeah I I think it might be interesting I suppose our friends who listen to this might not have any idea that this is how we have felt the majority of our lives. Mm. Um, And likewise, this may in turn help others reflect on their own cultures um, and those of those around them. And so I hope that is what comes of this. And at least, um, you know, maybe for those who feel this sort of cultural imposter syndrome as well, like there's at least a sense of relatability there. Like, yeah. We would love to hear about your experiences or what you think of imposter syndrome. If you've ever felt it, if you haven't, um, let us know. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Goodbye, people. Goodbye, people. (laughs) We'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Remind the Podcast. All of the research used in this episode can be found in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. Also follow our Instagram page at remind.thepodcast to get all of the latest updates on the show. That's all for now. Stay tuned for our next episode.